Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees and lots of other things that we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do. Hi, I'm Ella. I'm a business affairs executive at BBC Children's and I think I want to be a solicitor. In the last episode, I was lucky enough to chat to Yama, a solicitor specialising in complex personal injury cases. It was really helpful to hear how she got into law. However, she did admit not knowing enough at the time about the financial support which she could have access to pay for her studies, so she ended up taking out a big loan. So we contacted the Law Society, which is a professional association for solicitors. BBC lawyer Kush and I spoke to Leila Lezan, their social mobility policy officer, to find out about qualifying as a solicitor, how much it might cost and the funding that is out there to help aspiring lawyers. So thinking about how you become a sister, I know Ella is something that you're thinking about as well, different routes to qualification. Yeah, definitely. For me, I um, I, I did the LPC and then I did a training contract and qualified that way. Uh, is that still the usual route? Is that still the way that you can qualify? Yeah, so Kush, that's how, what I'd say is the traditional route to becoming a solicitor. So there are other ways of, of joining the profession, apprenticeships, um, becoming a, a legal executive through Silex. But the traditional route remains either a degree in, in something other than law, I don't know, English, or another degree, um, the GDL, so the conversion course where you cover sort of core legal topics, and then the legal practice course, the LPC. Um, and then the training contract. If you do a law degree, it is the LLB law degree, then the legal practice course, and then the training contract. And the LPC, what do we mean by that? The legal practice course. So that is the, the sort of professional element um, of becoming a solicitor. So it's um, a 10-month course, and that's where you learn all the sort of practical skills for becoming a solicitor. I mentioned some other routes into the profession. That is the traditional route. Um, but things are changing from sort of later on this year, the SQE will be a new route into the profession, and that is the solicitor's qualifying exams. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of doing, Layla. I'm hoping to anyway. Oh, good stuff. Pretty much it's unknown how it's going to sort of pan out at this stage, but it's quite exciting. It's quite an exciting time for the profession, knowing there's this other route coming into play. Um, it doesn't mean to say that the LPC is going to disappear overnight. They're going to run alongside each other for you know, a number of years. But definitely the, the SQE offers an alternative way of joining the profession. Can you do them part time or do you have to give up work and, and study them for a year? Absolutely. Part time is definitely an option. And how long does that take? So that could be a, a two year course. And there's also the option of studying online. So there is no need to give up um, your paid employment to do the LPC. So just looking at the costs of an LPC, obviously this is kind of different depending on where you go. Uh, I understand the higher end of the cost of something like £18,000, is, is that right? Yeah, you're looking at sort of touching £18,000 nearly this year. Um, I know there's it, there's a huge degree of variation in LPC costs. So I think the, the sort of lowest price provider um, is around £9,500. But the more expensive providers, um, so the bigger providers, so University of Law, BPP, um, their London campuses are sort of around 17500 which is not an insignificant sum of money. No, not at all. Yeah, that's a huge difference, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And what's the difference between £9,000 LPC or an £18,000 LPC? Um, well, do you know what? They still have to cover the same kind of content. So I imagine not an awful lot, but I imagine um, different providers might add different extras. Yeah. And if if you don't have that money going spare, you know, where can you get the funding from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think many people have, you know, £18,000 in their back pocket, to be honest. So there there are a number of different funding options for the LPC. My first suggestion to people who, who want to do the LPC and don't have the funds is look for law firm sponsorship. So 
It's a really common way of getting through the LPC is to get a training contract with a firm that will pay for your LPC. Lots of firms not only pay for the LPC fees, but they also um, will give you a maintenance grant. So living costs for the year or something towards your living costs. So if you're interested in you know, corporate commercial um, work or if you're looking at um, sort of bigger firms or regional firms, medium sized firms, take a look and see whether that firm will offer sponsorship for your LPC and a living grant, living cost grant. Obviously, some firms and organisations won't offer this. So if you're looking at anything in the social advice sector or if you're looking at charities um, or if you're looking at legal aid, those organisations won't offer the the LPC fees into their training contract um, offer. But um, bigger firms generally do. So that's that's one option. Get someone else to pay for it. Another option might be, we've already touched on it, and consider part-time study and carry on working. Although again, I appreciate people don't find eighteen thousand pounds out of their um, out of their usual employment costs. So another way um, would be to consider combining your LPC with an LLM, so with a master's course. So the LPC isn't covered on um, sort of postgraduate loans. However, if you combine it with a legal master's, it is. So you can get, um, I think it's just over ten thousand pounds. Oh, that's quite a lot. Exactly, towards your LPC um, through doing it that way. And I think a number of organisations now offer that. So that's definitely something worth um, exploring. Kush, when you did yours, did you have all these options? You know, was this available to you? Did you look into all of this? So when I did it, I applied, everyone was applying for training contracts in their kind of final year of law school. But actually vacation schemes was was a really important route to kind of getting a training contract. And for me, I got a VAC scheme, which is a sort of a mini internship um, at my law firm um, in the summer. And through that, at the end of that, they interview everyone. And based on your kind of performance throughout the two weeks, plus your interview at the end, they then um, may offer you a training contract. And so I got very lucky that I got offered a training contract before I started the LPC. Uh, and so my law firm funded the LPC. And as Leila mentioned, kind of gave, gave me a, a grant, which I think I blew on jacket potatoes in the <laughs> place next door to the law school. That's an expensive jacket potato. <laughs> it's a bad habit. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so that's kind of how I funded it. I'm not sure I would have even pursue this list of route if I hadn't had the funding from from the law firm I think I got really lucky and obviously there's not that many training contracts around so it kind of it is quite tricky I think you touched on something really important there as well Kush lots of firms have a timetable for recruitment so it might be attached to their vacation scheme so their internship um, program so if you don't want to have a gap between university and qualifying as a solicitor, it's really important that you look at the firm you're interested in, check what their recruitment timetable's like and get onto it quickly. So I think in more more often than not, it's the second year of university that you apply for um, the vacation schemes. And then you interview, or if you get onto um, a VAC scheme and interview for a training contract at the end of that, you then do your LPC and then straight onto the training contract sort of seamlessly without any um, year gaps. So it is important that you check in advance what the timetable is. And also note that lots of firms won't cover your fees if you've already started the LPC. Ah, right. Okay. And uh, Leila, in terms of like LPC and funding it, what if you already have a loan or a mortgage? Will this go against you? Will this be factored in? Um, yeah. So it depends. It depends what kind of loan you're after. So career development loans are pretty much a thing of the past. Banks might lend to you. Bear in mind how much debt you've got already. Do you have a mortgage? How old are you? How long will the term of this loan, potential loan, be? So I'd, I'd definitely go for law firm sponsorship if I was interested in any of those areas of practice. 
I'd consider the part-time, I'd consider the master's, but I'd also consider scholarships and bursaries as well. So the bigger providers that I've already mentioned offer a huge range of scholarship support and bursary support. If you just go on the website for the University of Law or BPP, there's a page on on each provider dedicated to um, different support offers going all the way up to full scholarships for the LPC. And they might be um, based on merit, so what you've achieved academically. They might have support packages or bursaries um, specifically for people from underrepresented groups. So perhaps if you're disabled, if you grew up in a low income household. So it's definitely worth checking wherever you're thinking about studying the LPC. Check their website, check what they offer in terms of um, bursaries and scholarships. And also check the Law Society website. We offer um, our own scholarship for the LPC through the Diversity Access Scheme. So the Diversity Access Scheme scholarship, we offer 10 a year at the moment. And we not only pay up to the full fees of the LPC or the SQE, we offer a professional mentor as well. And we broker work experience for our awardees. And are there any plans to open that up in the future? 10 is quite a, a, you know, a small pool of people. Why, why is that so small? Absolutely. We really want to increase um, numbers through the DAS. So we'll be looking at our different funding options, how we can get more sponsorship, that kind of thing. Um, but we really want to increase the numbers um, that we see coming through the DAS. And what are you looking for for applicants to the diversity access scheme what would you advise people that are applying so we have eligibility criteria so we're aimed at underrepresented groups particularly people from maybe more socially disadvantaged backgrounds but in terms of applying no we just want to see really authentic um well-written applications the application form shouldn't contain any surprises it covers all the usual things you'd expect from an application of this kind why do you want to join the profession talk about a current affairs issue what area of law are you interested in why So we want to see something that's been really well thought out. It's really well written. And we want to learn about you when we read the applications. We want to learn what motivates you. So it it does sound from what you're saying earlier, like there are a lot of schemes and companies out to help people as well as, you know, bursaries and funding and so on. But I sort of get the sense, and this is something that occurred to me when I was on the LPC as well, that you end up sort of with a group of exceptional candidates who who are able to benefit from that. But if you're not, you know, if you haven't got a first, if you haven't gone to a top university, but you still want to become a solicitor and you still face the same sort of barriers, whether it's financial or whether it's kind of the networks and so on, um, that there might not be that, that support available. Is that the case? And is that the sense that you get as well? Yeah, Kush, that's a really good point. Um, and I think that's always going to be an issue whilst firms want the very best people for the job. So they want the people who've gone to you know, Oxbridge or the Rust Group universities or who've got first or two ones. However, there is work going on um, in the profession around that and how to spot potential, potential rather than polish. So contextual recruitment is one way of doing that, um, whereby an applicant's achievements are put in the context of, I don't know, for example, the kind of school they went to, the, the kind of household that they grew up in, what their parents did, were their parents professionals? Did they grow up in an area of high deprivation? What was the average achievement of the school they went to? That kind of thing. So contextual recruitment is one way the legal profession is sort of tackling that issue. But um, there are other organisations that are sort of coming in to fill the gaps as well. For example, I was speaking to someone from the British Inter-University Commercial Awareness Competition. It's a bit of a mouthful, sorry. And it's essentially a competition for students from non-Russell Group universities to compete in this commercial awareness competition. Um, Commercial awareness is one of these things that um, firms, commercial firms, really look for when they're interviewing candidates. Um, So there is work going on around that, but I do appreciate that um, that is an issue. And I think it... 
it will be for a long time yet. It's a really good point about potential rather than polish as well, because I think not everyone, as you're saying, is comfortable in that environment, in that sort of, it can be quite stuffy and quite formal and not everyone's been exposed to that before. And so it might not come naturally to you or be able to kind of express yourself in that environment. I know when I did my training contract, I certainly found that it, it was something that I, you know, people spoke in a way that I hadn't necessarily come across before. You were exposed to people that you wouldn't otherwise have been exposed to or had or interacted with. And it's kind of learning some of those social cues and learning how to speak to people in a way that you wouldn't have done at home or with your friends or even at school or at university even. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, that's picked up. I remember when we um, did some of the interviews with the social mobility ambassadors, I spoke to a guy he worked in the city at the time and he said that was one of his biggest challenges like he was perfectly comfortable with the assessments he he'd done really well on his degree he could do all the sort of um, academic um, activities set by the firm whilst he was on this vacation scheme but different parts were intimidating to him so going out um, for dinner with partners and other solicitors at the firm and having a different array of cutlery or being in this environment he hadn't been in where people just go to these types of restaurants, have these kinds of conversations. And that's as big a, a challenge as, you know, the academics around the profession, I think. And I think it's it's a lot less stuffy than you can imagine it to be because people are generally you know really friendly and want you to succeed if you're on a vacation scheme. But if you haven't lived that kind of experience or lived that kind of life, then yes, it can be very intimidating. Yeah, it's funny you say that. That's exactly right. I mean, on our vacation scheme, we had a, a dinner with the partners and you were kind of sat in this room overlooking the river and there was a partner either side of you and three different glasses of wine. I didn't know which one was for which or, you know, any any of that sort of stuff. So it definitely is about being comfortable and being able to show your best your best self and the potential that you have in those environments. Absolutely. And recognising that people are, are human as well. I mean, we, we've experienced this when we do our interviews for the Diversity Access Scheme. Um, obviously, last year they were via Teams because of coronavirus. Um, but previously, they've been at the Law Society offices. And the Law Society has this amazing building in central London, Chancery Lane, with pillars up the side. And you walk in up the steps and you're in this beautiful foyer with portraits and statues and guilt everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I think coming in for an interview in those kind of circumstances, I mean, I, I work at the law society you know i'm used to it but it's still this beautiful imposing building and it can kind of take your breath away a bit but it's, it's recognizing the people within those buildings and within those structures are human beings you know i think it surprised a lot of people after walking in the building to be met by me who just wanted a chat to make sure they were comfortable have a glass of water don't be nervous what have you got to lose it's an interview um and and don't let your surroundings put you off yeah yeah. People want to see other people succeed. You know, no one wants someone to feel uncomfortable or embarrassed. You know, if you're if you're in the building, if you're doing a bat scheme, if you're doing an interview for a scholarship, we want to see the best in you. Um and, and no one wants to see someone feeling uncomfortable. Can we ask one final question? Um having talked all about the different schemes on offer and what the qualification as a sister is like, what advice would you give or what's the takeaway? For aspiring solicitors, what do people need to know? Educate yourself. So read, read, take advantage of all the resources that are out there to help you make your decision. Ask questions. You know, those email addresses on the websites, they're there to be used. Um, when I'm sitting at my work, I work part time. When I'm at my desk for two and a half days a week, I'm checking those inboxes, waiting for a question to come into the diversity access scheme. Um, just just keep asking questions. People want to help you. Talk to as many people as you can reach out to as many people as you can. You never know who is going to offer you that piece of advice or that leg up that will make a huge difference to your career.
so L after that. Are you still keen as ever to qualify as a lawyer one day? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's definitely some things that I need to consider. Funding and work involved. But yeah, it's it's still made me kind of want to qualify. And kind of now I have a better idea of what's involved and what to expect. So that really helps. And I hope it helps everyone else out there as well. Yeah, totally. I think, I mean, it's a really good reminder for me because I'm on an apprenticeship that kind of funding side of things, I'm incredibly lucky that that's just sort of taken care of. And I think because it's not my day-to-day reality, I forget that it is, I mean, it's a lot of money, like flipping heck, it's so expensive. It really is, yeah. Um, but also that there was, um, Layla was giving so so much like good advice on like the different options out there and really like, you know, working through or maxing out all of your options to try and kind of make it work for you as much as you can. Some of the stuff that Layla was saying about like getting in contact with people I thought was so true and so helpful. Like the idea that like those like information email addresses that are on people's websites are, you know, they're real things that you, you absolutely can get in contact with and that you, you, you've got like, you know, every right to be reaching out to people. I thought that was some really good advice for people. Yeah, it is. And sometimes when you scroll down, you just kind of ignore them, don't you? And you think, oh, they'll never get back to me. But yeah. in, actually, in reality, they're, they're just humans like you and me. And maybe yeah. that is their job. And it seems kind of scary, but, you know, they probably do want to help you. And oh, absolutely, they do want to help you. And also that, like, I think it can sometimes be, it can almost, it's not going to do anything bad. And it might even do something good in that, like, you know, asking a really good question or getting some more information might mean that, like, you know, your name sticks out in somebody's head or it's kind of an opportunity to kind of get in contact with another person who you never know might might be able to kind of provide an opportunity, as Layla was saying. Yeah, sometimes you just got stick your foot out and get on with it is that the right saying stick your foot out I think you mean stick your neck out that's the one stick your neck out yeah got a bit confused there I think (laughs) you were doing the hokey cokey (laughs) as Layla mentioned law schools like the University of Law and BPP and also the Law Society have got lots of information on their websites about the different types of awards and funding that's available and importantly when you have to apply We've put loads of links to these in our show notes below, as well as information about the British Inter-University Commercial Awareness Competition that Layla was talking about. In upcoming episodes of the podcast, we're also going to look at different ways to qualify, like apprenticeship schemes, which is what I do. Plus, we're going to be speaking to some brilliant lawyers like Hashi Mohammed and Vaibhav Adlaka, and they'll be talking to us about how they did it. You can find more episodes wherever you find podcasts. And we would really appreciate it if you think about maybe liking or reviewing the podcast or subscribing to make sure that you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. You can find us on Instagram. Just search Not All Lawyers Pod. And please do get in touch. We would genuinely love to hear from you. We'd love to hear any feedback you have or any questions that you might have. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC Legal Team. <laughs>